What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Authentically Us, where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do. I'm Conroy, the host, and I got my co-host here, Tony, with us. Tony, tell us, say what's up to the people. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Hope you're doing well. Hey, y'all, we have a wonderful, wonderful episode today where we're just going to dive in to so much Bible talk. So um, get your Bibles ready and get your ears ready because this is going to be a great, great uh, episode today. But before you do, give us a like, comment, share, um, review. Let us know how we're doing. And then if you have any topics you want us to talk about, let us know. We're everywhere. So find us everywhere you can listen. And also we're streaming, uh, not streaming. We are on every social media platform as well. So let's jump into this. Let's get it. Welcome back to another episode of Authentically Us. Y'all are in for a treat. We have Marty Solomon with us. Marty is a campus minister with Impact Ministries. He's a podcaster. His podcast is the Bama Discipleship Podcast. And he is an author, has a book uh, coming out called Asking better questions of the Bible. Uh, hey, Marty, how are you doing today? I'm very good. I'm glad to be here, and thanks for uh, having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, dive in. Um, you know, so for people that don't know, um, you are ethnically Jewish, but you're not a practicing Jewish, a Jew. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I live in a weird world. I'm, I do have uh, ethnic Jewish heritage. I am Torah observant, um, but I don't like, I don't find my home in a messianic context or congregation or synagogue. I find my home within the evangelical space. I wasn't raised with my Jewish heritage. I was raised in an evangelical space. Um, by both of my parents. So that's that's what I've always known as home in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, it's always it's always been where I feel most called. So it's it's always been a weird thing. Um, from a Jewish perspective, Orthodox Jewish perspective, I, I wouldn't be Jewish by their metrics. Mm. Um, I'm Torah observant and and how I understand New Testament theology. So it makes me a little bit different than my evangelical um colleagues but yeah it's 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 a little bit of a weird world to live in we're okay with that oh yeah oh yeah so in the Bayman podcast you talk a lot about you know how westerns um would interpret the bible compared to easterns when did you begin interpreting the bible through an eastern lens yeah i was probably in early college. I was probably a freshman or sophomore in Bible college. Um, I'd come out of like a, an evangelical reformed background. I was at a Bible college that was kind of on the other side of the theological spectrum. So I was, I was loving theology. I was, I was looking at all the categories we were used to digging into all the theology that we, uh, talk about on a regular basis. And then my own, you know, I had my own, today we'd call it deconstruction. We weren't calling it that back then, but I had my own little phase of, wait a minute, man, my theology doesn't work for me. And 
there's got to be something more going on here than the typical categories that we're used to. And so that's where, I, luckily I had some great mentors and my mentors hooked me up with um, some good teachers and that started opening my mind to a more historical, contextual understanding of the Bible. So it was, I mean, I was, I was 20, 21 years old before this stuff was really taking root in my own consciousness. I'm in the middle of my Bible training at that point and waking up to a lot of this stuff. So mm -hmm. that's when it started for me and kind of the impetus was trying to get, trying to get a theology that worked for that, that answer didn't just answer the questions, but resonated with my soul. Mm -hmm. If that makes any yes. sense. Like I needed, I needed a theology yeah. that was like, this works um, yes. without all of the hangups, but yeah. You know, that's interesting because I, I feel like, so I went to Liberty university, but I didn't grow up in a necessarily Christian home. So I think every Christian, like you said, kind of has to deconstruct. I call it like owning your faith where you get to a place where like you said, like, does this make sense in my soul? I like how you put that because I think a lot of times people either grow up understanding their parents' religion or understanding what the church or the pastor has said to them, but never owned it. Um, so was there like, like for me, I can remember specific times in my life where I had to like, there was no pastor around, there was no friends, there was no college. It was me owning my faith in like our situation, like, in another country or with a friend that was asking me deep questions. Do you have any moments like that where you're like, okay, first pop quiz in my new <laughs> journey? Yeah. Yeah. There were some real key moments along the way. One of them kind of happened before I was even asking some of these bigger questions, but I can remember being, and I was probably a junior in high school and growing up in the church. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't in love with the church, but I, you know, we went there. It's what we did. That's mm. just what my whole yeah. family did. I also didn't hate the church. I just, I played drums and I was in the band and it was my way to show up and have something to do without being bored out of my mind or having to focus on the sermon or, and I can remember uh, we had those electronic drums, you know, that was like the, yeah, the hot, yeah. cool thing back then. Um, I was a Roland V9 drum set and, <laughs> and we had a soldering connection go out. So the snare drum wasn't working that night. And I, there's like, we're just going to go, we're going to go acoustic. We're going to go unplugged. So I had to sit out with all the normal people that evening. And, and for the first time I was like watching the words on the screen wow. and I was realizing like, I don't like, I believe this, but I don't believe this. Mm, like yeah. I don't actually want this in my heart, but I think I do. And that started a journey for me through junior, senior year of high school that ended up leading me to Bible college and ministry. My prayers changed. My faith changed. What I wanted to do with my life and why changed. And that was probably where I started, where I feel like that became my own journey. And then just all kinds of little chapters along the way. Uh, my own faith crisis started because I was trying to lead a youth group and had an atheist kid that watched his dad commit suicide. And I mean, that just caused all kinds of all kinds of angst for all of us. Yeah. And I was like, well, wait a minute. My theology has questions. My theology has answers that I don't like. Um, yeah. I mean, those yeah. were, I had to come to grips with like, wait, my theology has an answer for that. And it's not a good one. Um, mm. That's what really led. That was, that was kind of the catalyzing moment that led to a lot of my own deconstruction was my theology actually does have an answer for that. And if that's who God is, I don't know how I feel about this. So I need to ask yeah. some bigger questions, bigger questions about who God is and, and own that for myself. So 
lots of chapters, lots of doors. And I, I anticipate mm. many more. Like I, yeah. healthy dynamic faith should be full of new chapters, new experiences, new questions, new doors. And I hope I don't have the same faith 10 years from now I have today. Mm. Like I, I hope it's growing. Mm. Uh, I would yeah, think a healthy so faith has to. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So talk to us about the difference between the Jesus of your youth and the Jesus that you follow today. Yeah, I thought this was a really good question. And I, I would I would answer it two almost opposite ways. I would say on one hand, on one hand, it they're the they didn't change at all. On one hand, I knew Jesus. And I that's the part about my fundamentalist upbringing I'm thankful for. Like I've had to I've had to deconstruct a lot of stuff, but one of the things I'm really thankful for my parents is they gave me a love for Jesus in the Bible. And I knew Jesus. I knew the person of Jesus, not the theolo not the theological idea of Jesus, not a historical construct of Jesus. I knew Jesus. And so on one hand, I feel like Jesus has always been with me and a part of my faith, and I know him um, mm -hmm. personally. And yeah. that now, on another hand, I think, golly, the Jesus that I know today is radically different than the Jesus that, I mean, the Jesus of my youth was a Jesus that was almost like a mascot for what we would, what we would have called evangelicalism. I didn't know that at the time, but it was like, mm. here he's the mascot for this kind of uh, ethic or morality. He's a mascot for this belief system. He's a mascot for apologetics. He's a mascot who fights against Darwin. He's a mascot. Um, mascot is the word that comes to mind. Yeah. Versus now a much more historically grounded. Um, and I just don't, I don't mean historically as in cold. And again, it's, it's coupled with this personal Jesus that I know too. So it's, it's anything but cold, but it is more aware of just like we mature. And I love the way you phrase the question because it's a Jesus of your youth. And then you grow up and mm. part of growing up is realizing who your parents truly are. You know, when you're a kid, your dad is mm. like your superhero and, wow. and flawless. And then you, and then you grow up and you're like, Oh, and Jesus isn't like this, but you, you just, you know what I mean? You find out that yeah. there's a much more healthy, mature way to view the world. And you find that out about Jesus too. Oh, he was a first century Jewish rabbi. Oh, that matters. Oh, he, he taught this way and that matters. And this thing that he said wasn't what I thought and that mm. matters. And so, yeah. yeah, your consciousness grows. And, and so on one hand, same Jesus I always knew. On the other hand, man, I, just so different and, but mm. so much more beautiful and mm -hmm. nuanced and helpful for me and for everybody else that I know. Yeah. Um, I did want to, I did before we kind of push forward, I wanted to, I know it, we can get caught up in like, I call it Christianese. Um, but for some of our viewers, can we maybe break down some of these words like um, evangelicalism? We've used that in other mm -hmm. podcasts that I stumble over. Um, and just like just different words, I think that we've we've tossed out that maybe even like the Eastern versus Western, like I think that is very fascinating, even as a believer. So maybe can we break down a little bit what that means and what that means to you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Evangelicalism is a tricky word. In a lot of ways, it refers to what a lot of us might say as cultural mainstream Christianity today. Mm. And maybe it's more technical form, like you have Catholicism and then you have mainline Protestantism. So if anybody grew up Lutheran or, um, or we, people might even throw in things like 
Presbyterian or some of your mainline denominations, Wesleyan or Methodist. Uh, and then there's then there's kind of everything else, the Pentecostal movements and the community churches and the non-denominational and anything that doesn't fit into those mainline denominational traditions often gets lumped as evangelical. Now, we use the term today in a lot of different ways. I feel like people kind of use the term to mean just like in Protestant Christianity yep. today. Um, <laughs> yep. That just kind of fits the, which is, which is kind of how I use the term, to be honest. Um, I never think about the technicalities a whole lot, but that's what the word tends to mean. It seems to like evangelical evangelicalism formed in the middle of the 20th century as we were reeling from those 20, 30 years of the scopes trial. And, and there was the rise of fundamentalism, like as a pushback against textual criticism and, and the liberal movement and, and, and Christianity kind of pushed against that and fundamentalism and created this world that kind of became evangelicalism. It kind of has its roots yeah. in fundamentalism. And so that's what that term means. Um, all of that to kind of segue into your other questions, all of that is rooted in a very Western conversation. That all has to do with modern Western civilization mm. coming out of classical Western civilization, which is rooted in a more even more Gnostic uh, Western development. But Jesus and the world of the Bible, the apostles aren't from that world. Mm. Um, they're from a yeah. Jewish world that's much more Eastern it predates the Greco-Romans. Now, the world of Jesus was very much squarely situated in the world of the Greco-Romans, in a, in a world that was being westernized. We call it Helen, Hellenization. They're being Hellenized, not, that, that, that's another word for you. Um, Hellenized would not be the word like as in hell, the place, but um, Hellenization would refer to the, the process of the Greeks yeah. um, westernizing civilization. Um, which is the world that we're more used to. We're more used to a Hellenized worldview than an Eastern worldview. And becoming aware of that is a lot of, it sits underneath, like you said, Con, uh, uh, Conroy, it sits underneath the, a lot of the questions we're asking. Like mm -hmm. underneath it all sits this awareness of there's a Jewish rabbi rooted in a Hebraic culture mm -hmm. from another continent and another time and place that's not making the same assumptions that a Roman world is making, you know, centuries later. And, and that, that's a lot of some of the basic building blocks of kind of the things that we wake up to when we're on this journey. Yeah. Well, I, I hear this like passion in this, in this love for um, historical uh, knowledge in, in text. Um, where did that come from? Like, was it because you were getting hit with all these questions or was it maybe because the Jesus you were like growing up learning didn't make sense to you? Like, where did that love and passion and like to know more come from? Yeah, it was, it was that worldview that those mentors handed me when I was asking questions. It was like, I had two options. I had door A and door B and there, you could either view the world through these categories or view the world through these categories. And they, none of them were working for me. And I had mentors that were, educated and aware enough that they said, you know, there's a whole nother set of questions you could be asking. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There's a whole nother way to look at this. That isn't, it wasn't designed by Calvin and Luther and the reformation. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, you know, articulated by Thomas Aquinas and the classical, like there's, there's a more, there, there's a greater awareness that this is a Jewish story being told in a Jewish context. And so they connected me to, and back then, I mean, it was, 
it was Rob Bell before he was this provocative heretic that everybody wants to write off. It was it was some of these voices that were speaking this worldview very effectively years yeah. and years ago. Um, and that I became passionate because it just answered so many of my questions. You would learn this stuff when you would say, why is everybody not talking about this? Why? Why? And and we were just waking up. The Internet's yeah. a th- like just becoming a thing. Um, I, I, I can't believe I'm old enough to remember days before the internet, but like we were, we were just starting to share information so freely and watching videos and creating content and social media wasn't a thing, but it was on the way. And man, the more we learned, it was like, you just wanted more. Mm -hmm. There was like this appetite for, I'm waking up to these better questions. And the more I asked them, the more, the more satisfying and not satisfying because it resolves things, but it gave you that resonance we referred to earlier. Like you were like, Oh, this is it. This is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. talk about that. Yeah. All the other categories, all the other handles, all the other classical boxes don't facilitate this conversation, but this does. And, mm-hmm. and that's what, and that's why I became passionate about it. Cause you watch the lights come on for people. And you can use this in lots of different ways. You can use this in a very cold, yeah. academic, impersonal, let's just critique the Bible. Yeah. But you can also use this to go, like, get to know Jesus more. Mm-hmm. Like, you can use it f- to facilitate a deeper, more vibrant, more colorful relationship with the God of the Bible. And that, that's what cranks me up is just to watch people, you know, uh, start to have a renewed sense of who Jesus is and what he's doing in their life. That's, that's big. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. Um, my, so my supervisor and I, um, we are somewhat listening to the Bama podcast together and, you know, I'm always texting him. How, how have I never known this? You know, I feel like I've been reading the Bible completely wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate your take on the scriptures. Um, but I wonder, why did you write uh, your book, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, when there's already so many Bible handbooks, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it fit there. There are, there's a ton of great sources, um, especially as we become more aware of these things. Um, I'm trying to think of the quote. There was a quote that somebody had about, I'm, I'm not even going to try to remember it because I'll butcher it if I do, but there, there's a quote out there that talks about like, God's given you something to say, the way you're going to say it um, is going to be important for, for somebody, if that's Mm. the thing that God's called you to do. And I've had a lot of people like, I'm not the expert. I love to connect people to experts. I'm not the PhD. I'm not the scholar. I'm not the archaeologist. I'm not, but I love to study them all and to package it and give it away to people so that they can go not study me, study somebody else. And the mm. way, and the way I've packaged it is just what makes sense to me. It's how my, my artistic creative brain sees it. And I've had a lot of people say, you know, I study this stuff for a living, but I like how you've de- like what you're doing there is unique. And that's mm. actually super helpful. Um, and I've had people that I deeply respect that are way smarter than me say, you need to do that. And so I go, okay, if there's something there that's helpful for people, 
then then and that's my that's my passion behind the book is can we can we package asking better like if can we learn how to have a different posture when we come to the bible can mm. we can we open ourselves up to curiosity and focus our attention and and maybe gain a new sense of wonder behind all that. Can we not do like apologetics? Can we, can we take the same stuff, but do something else that changes our insides rather than, than just mm. our heads? Wow. Um, because if we can do that, that I think there's something cool and unique mm. about that. So I think all of it matters. I think every person's contribution is them playing their part to a much larger cultural conversation. And, mm. and I, I felt like, uh, well, if people, if there's enough people to buy a book, I suppose we'll find out if there's a, a helpful spot for my voice in the corner of the room. That's so good. Um, what excites you most about this project? I think, um, I think the thing that I'm most passionate about is using questions to change our, I, I said the word a moment ago, the, our posture, mm. Like, I feel like I grew up in a Christian world that insisted that you had a certain level of confidence. Like, you know, you're right. And you know that you're right. And you're here to tell the world what you know, because what you know is right. And you're right. And everything is about being right and being assured of your rightness. And that, and that was, that's probably even helpful for a day and an age and a, a space and a place but it also did something to us, like culturally as Christians, like it, it made us the posture we had with, it made us less loving. If I could just say it mm. as authentically as I could, yes. like it just made us less loving. It made us more arrogant. It made us more assured of ourselves. And, and I would love to change the conversation so that we become less sure, which seems backwards, but if we become less sure of ourselves, if we become aware of like how much we don't know, well, mm. what that does is it opens us up to not just asking better questions of the Bible, but asking better questions about everything and everybody, which makes us a more generous, a more hospitable, a more, that posture makes us more loving, which is the whole point of all of this, yeah. according to our rabbi. So mm. that's what excites me is if we can have a conversation, if we can somehow harness our curiosity and the desire to know and almost flip it on its head and do the opposite and say, we can know, but there's all we'll learn is how much we don't know. And mm. that's actually okay. Yeah. When we start asking those questions of the Bible, that's going to be liberating because mm. I don't have to be the expert. I get to be the ambassador for the gospel. I get to just love people, meet them where they're at, talk about the Jesus that I know, talk about the history I'm aware of fully aware of that so much other history I don't know, but I know Jesus and I know you, or I'm getting to know you. And I just think that changes that potentially changes, changes Christianity because we've always just, we're Bible people. We're Bible, 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 Bible. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and if, if we can somehow shape that relationship, we might become more loving people. Wow. It's, it's interesting that you say this because um, like you were saying earlier about how, you know, when you, when you kind of go the more informational route, it can go off cold. And I think that's a lot of my experience with very uh, knowledgeable people of the text and the word and just 
no, loads of knowledge. And then when you say this, it's like you're flipping that on its head. It's like, hey, I still crave and love this information. I want to I love the text. But you're also saying it's like, man, it's almost like if we if we humble ourselves and say we know mm. we don't know. I think one yeah. that, like you said, that opens us up to conversations with other people, but also opens up to like allowing the Jesus um, and the Holy Spirit to to do his work as opposed to mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know, I know, yep. which I think is is so fascinating. My follow up question with that is, has have you always been that way or maybe there was a switch like. Cause I'm like, when I'm hearing you say this, I'm like, wow, this is really fascinating. Cause I've never heard it from this perspective. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, on one hand, again, I'm going to do, I'm going to do our two hands again. On one hand, I feel like I totally, yeah, I will. Cause I was being trained and discipled. I, I won't say indoctrinated or, you know, I wasn't a part of some cult, but the evangelical world definitely was training me to have answers study apologetics, always be prepared to give, which is a beautiful Bible verse, like always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, which I think is slightly different than intellectual answers about our faith. But Mm. like, and there was when, when I got, there was a switch that flipped and it wasn't immediate. Like I was walking down this path of historical awareness, probably way too far before that, before I went man, I actually don't know much of anything. Like I was still feeding off of this. I got to act like I know. Now I have all the new answers. At the same time, on the other hand, I think I honestly believe like you just, I really liked how you described what we were talking about a moment ago. I think Christians have this innate awareness. I think it's the Holy Spirit, but we have this innate awareness that we're called to love. We actually want to be like God and how we love the world, the, the way we bring peace and order to care. Like we know we want that to be true, but we have all of these intellectual gymnastics that we've learned how to do. And so you have to actually learn because there's this thing that says, well, how about you just throw all the learning off? Cause learning is pointless and it's not, no, no, let's learn that there's real deep, meaningful, objective reasons to say yes to love and justice, and bringing peace, mm. and pursuing shalom. And and then let's stop just short of having to have all the answers. Let's just spend the whole rest of our life pursuing more, mm. but realize that, no, there's actually real objective reason why we would mm. say, I'm going to love my enemy. Like, that's that's actually objectively in the Bible. That's not just a feely, you know, mm. people, that, people that don't know their Bibles have decided that it's all about love. No, there's actually people that know their Bibles and have discovered there's deep teaching about loving our neighbors and our enemies. And it fits what Jesus called. I think we have this awareness. And when you give people enough answers to go, this is, this is sound, this is objective that they go, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the corner. I'm going to, I'm going to flip that switch. I am going to let that impact the kind of person that I am. Yeah. So when, when you talk about pursuing Shalom, what do you mean? Oh, good question. So the Hebrew word shalom is the word we translate peace. And it's a word that's like super loaded because peace doesn't capture it. When we say peace in the English, we usually are thinking the absence of conflict or, but peace in the Hebraic mind, 
the word peace, shalom is the word, and it means complete. It means whole. It means everything in its proper place. So when you talk about like the words, words like justice, again, we think of like a judge or a courtroom, but the Hebraic idea of justice is about restoring shalom. Justice is about putting everything back. Something got disrupted. Something got broke. Something got crooked or twisted. And to to pursue justice is to put it back, to, to restore it, to bring it back to its state of shalom, a state of perfect. And, and I'm always, I have funny feelings about the word perfect. It's such a Greek idea, such a static concept. But the idea of everything, everything in its proper place, purity, mm. wholeness, straightness, truthness that that's shalom when if everything shalom would be the kingdom of god shalom would be god's design and intent and so part of what jesus just keeps inviting us into part of what god invited the jewish people into throughout every chapter of his story is join me in pursuing shalom the world has descended into chaos join me in putting some of that some of that right again mm, yes. um, so yeah, that's so good. And your um your podcast is is like it's in a format where you're discipling. You're discipling um your it's like a big discipleship group with during your podcast as I was listening to it, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, but when I hear the word discipleship, it's very biblical. But what does that look like in your opinion? What does that look like practically today? Yeah, when we get to the end of uh, session three, there's a bunch of thoughts, and then we circle back around at the end of session four and five because it's a really big idea to me. When, when, when you look at Jesus's world, when they, because we use discipleship, it is a very biblical world. It's also a, a, a word. It's also a very religious buzzword for us. Yep. We use it to like talk about everything. Like I get together seven a.m. at Starbucks on Thursday morning, and we call that discipleship. Yeah. Or we just talk about spiritual growth and we call it discipleship. Or uh, sometimes we'll be a part of large mega churches and we'll talk about getting involved in small groups and we call that discipleship. Like we, we use the word discipleship for so many things. Mm. But what did that word mean to Jesus, a Jewish rabbi in the first century who had at least 12 and maybe a handful of lady disciples? Like that word meant something to them. And so we pull that apart in the podcast when we get to the gospel, because that idea was somebody that gave up everything. They dropped their nets, if you remember, to go follow Jesus, because this was this is what everybody wanted to be a part of. If you could give everything to spend all day, every day, you wanted to know what the rabbi knows in order to do what the rabbi does for the reason that the rabbi does it in order to be just like your rabbi. The work of discipleship was work of imitation. It was a work of mimicry. It was wow. flesh and blood. It wasn't learning. It wasn't an hour a day. It wasn't even eight hours a day. When those guys dropped their nets, they might not have gone home for the next three years. Like you, you went, you ate where the rabbi ate, you slept where the rabbi slept. You went out when the rabbi went out. You, And you see this in the stories. They're now, they've now given the next however many years of their life to wanting to be just like their rabbi. And, and that continues like some 19 times in the new Testament, the writers will say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, follow my example. We've given you examples to follow Uh writer of Hebrews, follow your leaders examples. Some 17, 18, 19 times uh, they'll talk about imitation. 
mimicking uh, the example of somebody who walks like Jesus. Whoever claims to be in him, 1 John, must walk as Jesus walked. And so discipleship is this work of imitation. And and it may not work the same way today in 2022 America or whatever our context is as it did for first century um, you know, Judea. But there's something that I think we ought to keep asking the question you just asked and go, wait a minute. Mm, yeah. Maybe there's something about discipleship that and we can get a little wacky and crazy with that. We need to be careful. But maybe there's I got into campus ministry because I wanted to pursue discipleship. And I couldn't think of too many places in our world that facilitated it. I wanted to work with people that I could say, mm. come follow me. And they could say yes. And they didn't have a mortgage and a marriage and three kids and a career. Yeah. But they also had yeah. their own volition. They could make their own decisions. They could say yes. They could decide that they wanted to do this for a job or not do that for a job. Like, And it was the right age group. And so I got into that so that I could build a small group of disciples around me and mm. say, hey, let's go, let's go follow Jesus together and see what happens. And it's been the most meaningful ministry I've ever done. And that includes my podcast or wow. any book that I'll write. Yeah. Because um, wow. it's the thing that Jesus asks us to do. Wow. That's you know, good. when I when I think about that, I think about essentially that's kind of what Jesus did. He took a bunch of like young adults, you know, <laughs> and yep. it was it was easier for them to drop what they were doing and go follow him. Yeah, I'll drop my nets. I'll go follow you. Yep. It's like, I don't really like this job anyway. You know what I mean? Yep. It's And I think. Wow, that I didn't, I never thought of it that way because I think of college students and um like I I I play rugby or I played rugby for the US and what do they what they like to do is they like to bring in younger guys because yes. it's it's a commitment. Like you're not gonna make that much money like your first five years, you know, doing it, but it's like I could do that, I could be broke for a couple of years, you know. Mm -hmm. It's almost like Jesus knew this is the right age group because they're young enough that they don't have, like you said, a mortgage or kids or, or whatever, but it's also the young enough that they can make a huge impact and mm. look at because of those people he selected, look where we are today. And they're naive enough that Ooh. the fire hasn't been put out yet. Wow. And mm. they don't have all these life experiences that have made them believe like, well, that will ultimately never work. Like wow. they're just, they're just dumb enough in a beautiful way yeah. that Jesus yes. can say, Hey, go do this and they'll do it. And it will work in ways we never even dreamed about. Like those 11 guys and a handful of ladies are going to change the course of human history. Mm, yeah. like, and they're not from Harvard. Right. They're from five of them are from Bethsaida. It is a dinky little fishing village on the Northern end of the sea of Galilee. Like, these are rural, small town, backwoods kids. Yeah. And he says, mm -hmm. you can do, you can do more through the wow. power of the Holy spirit. You can do more. Wow. Yeah. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and, and by the, their, their stories, you can see, you can see what, like, Oh, these kids were young and, and dumb. Yes, absolutely. Like, you and cut, it's beautiful. You cut this man's ear off. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's so, right. Wow. Yep. I never thought about that way. So yeah. kudos to both of you guys for doing college ministry because yeah. you guys are truly doing the work of the Lord. So hats off well, to you guys. That's what we hope. Well, and like, I mean, when we look at it, like history, college students have been the ones to do amazing things. The Holocaust, the civil rights movement, like it started because a group of college students said no more mm. 
Absolutely. Like I, I, yeah, there are some great books out there that, that look at, especially in Western civilization, any point of revival, you can trace almost every revival we've seen in the last two or three, even more hundreds of years. And you can trace it somewhere to whatever the college campus looked like for that day Mm. and age. It's a group of young Mm. people that are willing, every social movement almost always begins with youth and young adults. Um, building off of something that they learned and experienced as children. So you're, you're absolutely right, Antonio. You're, you nailed it. I, I, that's what I love about the work of college ministry. Yeah, man, absolutely. So you touched on this a little bit at the beginning, um, but I, I want to dive more into the tension that you feel about being ethnically Jewish, but still feeling that you don't belong to either camp. Yeah, um, that was that came later in my journey, my awareness of New Testament theology. We end up spending a ton of time in session four of the podcast going through what we call New Perspective on Paul. It's a whole world of scholarship that really was based off of things we discovered with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So even in the world of Judaism, um, there was a ton of things that we both Christian and Jewish scholarship discovered when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And part of it was having a better understanding of what was going on in Second Temple Judaism. And, and the arguments that Second Temple Judaism was having about the place of the Gentile, and then how the New Testament plays into that. And some of the assumptions that we have made for centuries about the place of Jew and Gentile in the church we've had to kind of correct some of the things that we thought Paul was saying when actually he's saying something different. So, and that's hard to, that'll be hard to pull apart necessarily here, but we go, we go through that in depth in the, but long story short, I believe that what the new Testament makes really clear is that the Gentile needs to be a Gentile. God has called the Gentile into the body of Christ to be free, to not observe Jewish halakha or to be Torah observant. But it is for freedom that they've been set free. And if they, I think Paul says in Galatians, if the Gentile takes on Torah observance, they ruin the gospel because it's it's their presence as non-Torah observant Gentiles that tells the world how good the gospel is. The gospel isn't based on my Jewish identity. It's based on the grace and goodness and forgiveness of God. Mm. Um, mm. Now, the Jew, we always assumed that that meant the Jews stopped being Jewish. And what we've discovered is, oh, the Jews didn't stop being Jewish. Peter didn't stop eating kosher. Paul doesn't stop eating kosher. They still, re- but it's the Jew and Gentile in their diversity, blend, like being together. Like mm. they didn't become a uniform, like unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Mm. They didn't become a uniform body. They became a diverse body that had unity. And that was the beauty of the New Testament church was Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free came together and made a new humanity together. Yeah. And it wasn't uniformity because that would have screwed up the gospel. The gospel is only powerful if you see the diversity inside the unity. The Mm. distinction is everything. And so that's been that's been why I. I, I felt like I have a place and I have a, it's, it's awkward. It's weird. Um, I screw up the potluck all the time because people forget to get the cheese pizza. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, but it's, but that's the whole point is that when you go to that potluck and you see that tension and the love and the hospitality and the gracious generosity and the smiles and the fellowship, that is a picture of what God's doing in the world 
building a new humanity in the church. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, as, a, as, as somebody who has Jewish heritage, I decided to kind of reclaim that and walk in a way that was mm-hmm. consistent with what I understand about. And I could be wrong because I'm wrong about a lot of things, but I'm going to try to live in a way that's consistent with what I understand about New Testament theology and, and do that alongside of Gentiles and be like, no, you got you got to eat the bacon, man. You got to be free. You got to love your Gentileness because that's the gospel. And we're going to do it together. So I'm going to yeah. pass on the bacon. You're going to eat it. And together, that's going to be Jesus in the world. Wow. wow. You know, I never even thought about it this way because as like Tony and I talk about this a lot, even throughout our podcast, you know, as we've gotten older in our lives, we've wanted to connect more like with our, you know, for me personally, I'm half Jamaican and then half African-American, but I've also had this longing to connect with my African side. Tony, for example, has this longing to, to connect with his white side, but also his black side. And now when I'm hearing your story, it's like, it's like, it's not just a culture. It's like, it's not just a Jewish culture. It goes deeper because now it is spiritual, which now that I think about it, all of ours could be, but it is awkward. <laughs> it is awkward. But I, what I love about what you said is it's like you're embracing it. And it's like, hey, I am awkward. I, I'm going to get this wrong. But like the fact that I'm opening up my heart, my soul, my my spirituality up to this is like good enough for me right now. Yeah. And I love that. That that unique, our our unique distinctions are part of understanding who we are. That's why Mm. they matter. That's why no matter what our, our, what our, our, our ethnic backgrounds are, any of those things, it's like when you become aware of them, they matter because they're me. And that's why seeing them and other people, it matters because it's them. It's those same Mm -hmm. pieces of identity that you look at that distinct part of who you are is what makes that's what god sees when he loves you god doesn't see a faceless he sees the all the distinct things that make you beautifully you Mm. that's the gospel and yeah the church should be a place where that those things are celebrated because we look at people with that same wide-eyed wonder of love and go what are the unique things that make you you that make you different than other people not become like me because then it's no longer the cool good news. It's something else. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, I love it. I did, we didn't want to have a couple more questions left. Um, last or one, last one for me was on your um, Instagram. I, I see you do this live uh, Q and A, which when I hear live Q and A, I get super nervous because <laughs> I've worked with students. I worked with you know younger and it's. When you get live Q&A, you're, you're opening yourself up. But what's the craziest question you've ever been asked on your Q&A? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, too. That's what I love about the live Q&A. It's like one of the things we do, and I always start almost every Q&A these days with, with this little monologue about, like, we do these in order that we can know, A, we don't have enough places where we get to ask questions in our faith communities. Mm, like questions so aren't incentivized and encouraged. Yeah. But, but B, we have to learn how to like hear somebody's questions and accept it. Even if it's like a super dangerous or, well, we can hear that and we can put it, we don't have to engage it. We can, we, but we can still receive it and accept it and acknowledge them and see the question asker and say, here's why I'm going to put this question over here and do it in a way that matters. And they and they feel seen and they go, okay, then I guess that makes sense. I might, I, w- I wish you would have, but I like, 
to understand how to dialogue and to hear somebody. And, you know, I don't know, like I, I saw that question you guys sent to me ahead of time. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I have any, like, I think I've seen every question as something. Yeah. Beautiful. Do I, do, do we get questions about atonement and <laughs> the corners of theology and heaven and hell every single time? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, do we get questions about um, issues like LGBTQ every time? Yeah, absolutely. Every time. But there are beautiful ways to handle those mm. and not every question is going to get filled because because a live stream Q&A is not the place to field some of those questions. Like some yeah, of those exactly. questions have been entrusted yeah. to our local faith communities and organizations and denominations and traditions. And so what you get to do is you get to say, that's a good question. I'm sure it's rooted in something that's very meaningful. And because of that, I'm not going to sit on YouTube and pontificate about because that question actually is too important for me to field here that question god mm. has entrusted to there and mm. i love the crazy questions because they're really not crazy at all because every question comes from somewhere that matters yeah mm. and and so i loved uh yeah i i, I love those and they've yet to I, i've had some nights where i'm in better moods than others and, <laughs> and and some of those live streams have been better than others but i've never felt like oh that was really dangerous or oh no we got into it because I just love to create a space to be like, you got questions? Yes. And we may not answer all of them. And it's really not about the answers anyway. But I see you. I hear you. That's a good question. And here's here's a way to honor that question with a response of some kind. So you, and I love do, you it. do you refer like wow. um, you said something about, you know, do you, do you refer them out to like the local body? Maybe like, hey, maybe, yeah, so, yeah, maybe and, you should, you know check in with mm -hmm. your personal pastor yep. okay yeah that's good yeah there are some issues what i think sometimes we would call things like disputable matters or things where where different parts of evangelicalism have landed in different places and mm -hmm. those are i'm um, no no platform podcaster should be the one making those decisions because and so yes i i will simply say and the problem the bummer for some people is they're not a part of a larger faith community mm -hmm. they're not and our faith communities haven't navigated these things super well. We don't have a great track record navigating, but it doesn't mean that I'm now the judge and jury and yeah. I get to do it either. So we've got to figure out how to navigate those, those waters together. And so sometimes you can make recommendations of how to do research. Sometimes you turn them back towards their local faith communities, but hopefully all the time, just demonstrating a ton of wisdom and respect for this thing that we're a part of called the church and, and honoring that in the place that we all have in it and and, uh, and everybody's critical thinking because everybody's voice matters yeah on some yeah. level not yeah. mine you know i appreciate they're asking me but yeah, sometimes it's like well i have i have convictions and i have opinions but that's really not going to be important here mm. so let's just not share mm. those that's good wow that's so good last question before we transition what does it mean for you to be authentically marty Oh man, you know, I, I probably am a weird person to ask because if I have a struggle, um, that I've learned over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, I've spent some good time in therapy with count with good counselors. Um, and, and if I've learned anything, it's that I'm one of those church leaders, personalities, influencers, 
that I struggle with. I, I, I could have some narcissistic tendencies real easily mm. and I need good relationships. I need good mentors. I need good accountability. I need good therapists and counselors in my life to always be checking in on that, to make sure I'm healthy, to make sure people are con- able to confront me and ask good questions. So for me to be authentically me is to be aware of some of those tendencies. And because if anything, I probably struggle with overconfidence. Mm. I bet, because what I want to say is to be authentically me is to be okay with who I am and to overcome fear and insecurity. And I bet with probably many people, that's, that's true for me is to be aware that I can be overconfident in myself. I can be over self-absorbed and to know what that does to my wife or my children, to know what that does to the people in my ministry, to be authentically me is to know me and, and to know that I've got to be okay with me, (laughs) but I also have to be responsible. I have to steward me well. Cause I can mm. be dangerous and it, all in the name of being authentically me, but man, most people I work with every day, most of the people I pastor and counsel and lead the message of being authentically them is like, this is who you are. And it's beautiful because mm. most of us don't think it's beautiful. Most of us think I'm a liability. Mm. Like most of us think we're not blank enough and someday I'll be able to be authentically me but you get to be authentically you now. Um, yeah. Cause you are smart enough. You are good enough. Like we're, we're not good enough, but we are good enough. Like we are enough. Yeah. Um, we are worthy of being loved and accepted by Jesus now. And, and sometimes for me, I, I, I can be a little bit too assured of that. And I have to remember mm-hmm. how to make sure <laughs> being knowing me is is also knowing that if i'm not careful i can hurt people too and so good. Wow. awareness wow. self-awareness yeah. is everything <laughs> yeah oh marty this time has been so good but it's time to transition to our next segment segment of all segments rapid fire beep, 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 beep. so how this works is we'll ask you three questions um, first thing that comes to mind, don't pass go, don't collect $200, don't own a friend, just whatever comes to mind. So well, let's go. First question is, when was the last time you tried something new? Um, uh, two weeks ago at, at, at Kings Island theme park and I got on a new ride. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, what would you say to your younger self? Um, oh man, quit being such a jerk. Mm. I feel like we all mm. can say that. <laughs> That's right, a good one. Right. Yeah. And then last one here. What life lesson have you learned the hard way? Hmm. Um, probably what I was just talking about a moment ago, uh, just learning that I had, I had really hurt people that mattered the most to me for six or seven years before I, before I went to therapy and had a, had a therapist open up my mental and emotional health and say, you are really self-absorbed and it's killing the relationships around you. Mm, wow. And that was, that's, that's the lesson I had to learn that. Cause there was no going back. I couldn't, I couldn't undo what I had done for six or seven years Man. of my marriage and, 
mm-hmm. and being an adult and being a pastor. And I had made some, some mistakes, nothing huge, but for some people they mattered. And, yeah. and I represented yeah. Jesus to my wife and my kids and my, and my church goers. And, uh, man, that sucked, but we grew. Yeah. 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 Man, this has been wow. amazing. Thank first you. of all, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, and the fact that, you know, Tony, Tony, I'm big proponents of Jesus and therapy. And yes. mm-hmm. I was like, just hearing you, I'm like, I know, I know you've been through a lot of work. Um, yep. so thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being authentically you. We are so grateful that, uh, you hopped on our podcast today today. So thank you again, Marty. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until next time. What another great one. Oh, another one. This, man, this is so good. Um, You know, it's hard to pinpoint something specific, but I really enjoyed how he uh, talked about the tension of being ethnically Jewish, um, Mm. but not a practicing Jew. And he doesn't really fit into one specific box because I mean I definitely feel that with being biracial so I could just really really relate yeah I I really appreciated that because I never heard it from that perspective before and I never thought of it that way in my mind I also like um kind of how he talks about how he craves this information and craves this knowledge because he enjoys it but he also realizes that's not the end all be all which i thought was so cool because i haven't met anybody with this much bible knowledge who don't act like know-it-alls and the fact that he was trying to flip that upside down i was like yes yep (laughs) yes (laughs) like this is how it needs to be yeah so he this this episode is great i'll listen to it again just because like it was so meaty very much so very much so man but y'all you know what time it is the friendship quiz the friendship quiz the quiz that you guys have been tracking um somebody knows the score somebody knows the score um we might be evened out at this point i don't know but tony i heard that you have a question for me i do so besides bowling, what other sport do I love to play? Basketball. Wow, that was real quick. Good job. Yeah. Yep. Good job. Let's go. That was the you know, as soon as you started you've ever given. <laughs> as soon as you started with besides bowling, I'm like, I know this one. I know this one. I know them all, to be honest. I just let you Oh, yeah. Sometimes. Got it. That makes zero sense, but we'll go with it. Makes zero sense for you, but makes perfect sense to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all. Well, thank you for uh, listening again. We got some uh, fun things coming up. Uh, be on the lookout. But until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. Peace. Peace. Make sure you go uh, 
order asking better questions of the bible by marty 